Welcome to this podcast featuring well-known Bible teacher, Kevin Connor. For more information, visit kevinconnor.org. Okay, so everybody, I just want to make sure you're coming along with everybody feel happy with what we've done so far? Okay, so creation of man and woman, image and likeness of God, God's original sevenfold purpose. This was all before the fall. So say it with me. So number one was sinless sinless character. character. Number two, perfection. Number three, fellowship, relationship, worship. Number four, dominion, rulership. Number five, blessedness or happiness. I'm going off here. Number six, reproduction or fruitfulness. Number seven, eternal life. Okay, now... This to me is a very important, I mean, you know, for me everything's important, I guess. But I want to see now what happened because there's an enemy around. And, he, and this enemy has heard God's original intention and purpose here. So he's going to do something to get man off and bring about the fall and frustrate apparently God's purpose. This is why it's so important. So that's what we're going to look at now. I want you to uh, turn first of all, and this part is not on your notes. I'll tell you, uh, tell you when we get to the, uh, to the notes here. So let's turn over to Romans uh, chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. And don't forget, if you've got uh, questions uh, coming to mind, uh, you can either write them down or... We'll either look at it tonight or else tomorrow. So, Romans 10. Now, uh, I, I'm being very honest with you. How many have felt over the years, and sometimes I, I have felt this in my weaker moments, why do we get the Bible every Sunday? We're Bible bashed to pieces. You know, everybody's preaching at us. I mean, has anybody ever honestly felt that way? Come on, tell the truth, you lying spirits. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Now, I want, this is what, what we're going to do tonight shows the real reason. I want you to go to Romans 10, and a lot depends on your translation, but uh, I want you to notice, first of all, the five hows of Paul, although uh, I've got uh, new authorized here. So let's go to um, verse uh, 13, or no, verse 8. With Paul, you never know where to stop. But... <laughs> But this will have such a bearing on what we're going to do in a moment. Okay, verse 8 it says, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith, which we preach. Everybody say word of faith. When you keep that, the word, the word of faith. You'll see the significance as we go through. Then in verse uh, 12, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls... On the name of the Lord shall be saved. So call, calls. How then, now number one how. I've marked it in my Bible. Number one, how then shall they call on him whom they, in whom they have not believed? Number two, how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? Number three, and how shall they hear without a preacher? And number four, and how shall they preach unless they be sent? As it is written, and number five, how, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad, glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah said, says, Lord, who has believed our report? Verse 17, let's all say it together. So then, faith, faith comes. comes. How, how many in your Bible the word comes is in italics? Yeah, yeah. Okay. 
I'd like to give another word there, which is sound theology. Faith comes, I like to put this word, faith is created by hearing the word. So whether we say come or created, I think created is a good word too. So faith is created. Now, as I said, this is going to have a tremendous bearing on what happens now. So faith comes by hearing, or is created by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So note, the word of faith, the word, how are they going to hear? We have the five hows. And so the whole purpose of preaching and teaching and the gospel and the word of God is to create faith. Okay, now, on your diagram, you've got it there. Let's go, I'd better go to, to see, otherwise I'll, I'll miss it. Up the top of your page, page number two here. Uh, the probation and test of obedience. Now, over the years, and I know if you're as honest I as I am on this, I said, I've said to God, why? Why did you put that tree of knowledge of good and evil there? You knew man was going to take it. Has anybody ever got mad at God? Apart from me? Yes. Oh, okay. A few truthful people around here. Yeah. So if God hadn't put that tree there, now do you know why? Because someone asked me this the other day. That's why I put it on my notes to tell you the truth. Why did God even put the tree there? You know why I believe? Man was on a period of probation and it was a test of obedience. A test of obedience. Now, remember what we've got there. Let's go to Genesis 2 now, to those scriptures. And... Um, some of you have heard me teach, you know, I'm what I call a uh, jigsaw puzzle teacher. How many have heard of a jigsaw? Ever put one together? Yeah. Let me use the illustration again because it helps people a lot. When you're putting a jigsaw puzzle together, the first thing you do is lay out all the parts of the puzzle. And then as you're putting the puzzle together, you know there's a picture there. You don't pick up a part and say, oh, I don't know where that fits, throw it away. Pick up another part. Don't know where that fits. I'll throw that away. How many know you won't have any puzzle left by the time you're through? <laughs> and as someone said to me many years ago, Kevin, if I say things you don't understand or don't believe, don't throw it away. It might be right. Stick it on the shelf. And over the years, as God sent different ministries in the body of Christ, say, oh, I never knew where that part fits. That just fits, 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 fits right in here. You don't force the parts of the puzzle or you distort the picture. You don't force the scriptures. But everything just locks and interlocks until you say, wow, what an awesome picture. So I'm a jigsaw puzzle preacher, a teacher. I like to lay out all the parts of the puzzle first, then just bring it together, hopefully not forcing any of the parts. Everybody say amen to that. Amen. So go back to Genesis chapter 2 and in verse 15 and 16. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it, to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Death penalty. Okay. So now God has placed man in a beautiful garden of trees and said you can eat all the trees. There's only one forbidden tree. There was only one commandment, not ten commandments. And for those who are picking up seed, when Adam broke that one commandment, he actually broke the ten. Like, thou shalt not steal. He stole. You shall not covet. He covered it. You'll be like God. See, the ten commandments were actually, he broke man's rest and God's rest. Because God had to start working all, all over again. See, so the ten were in that one. So it was a test of obedience, and he was in a period of probation. All right, so now that's, that's the picture that we have.
So the why of the tree of knowledge, let me just make sure I've said that uh, in, my, in my writing. If you want a copy of my notes, I write in tongues. <laughs> and I'm the only one that can interpret it sometimes. <laughs> so one may ask the why of the tree of knowledge of good Why did God put it in the garden? Why when God knew that if man took of it and he knew they would and all the tragic history of the human race, why did God put it there? The reason? It was a test of faith. In fact, add this, it was a test of faith and obedience. Faith in God's word and obedience to God's word. Let me say that again. So the reason, and this will be more confirmed as we get into it, it was a test of faith and obedience. Faith in God's word and obedience to God's word. This was the issue, faith and obedience. They would have to trust God's word that there was a reason why God did not want them to eat of this tree. Good old song we used to sing back in the dark ages where I come from, trust and obey. But there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Hey, you're not that old. Eh? You're not that old. Okay. All right, now the thing is, there was an enemy around. There's an enemy around. So just picture the scene, and we'll, this continues on from here. So the serpent, who we know is a fallen angel, the devil, he's around here. He has caused the fall of angels in heaven. And now as he looks at this man and woman, and remember, man and woman, we are a lower order of creation. Man was made a little lower than the angels. So we are a different order of creation. Uh, this is why, let me say this a bit on theology here. There's no redemption for fallen angels because they sinned as spirit beings in the blazing white light of God's holiness. But man is a spirit, soul, and body being and as the devil's like, he brought about the fall of angels up in here and he looks on man and woman as a new creation and he hears this tremendous purpose and destiny that God has for man. So I think the devil thinks, okay, I brought about the fall of angels up there. I'm going to do it here. Because just being very Australian, the devil hates our guts. He hates the guts of the redeemed. He hates Christ. He hates the church. He hates us because he lost us out of his kingdom. We're in the kingdom of God. Amen? All right. So now how's he going to do it? Let me just read my note here. So there was an enemy around, a fallen angel by the name of Lucifer, Satan. Man was made a little lower than the angels. That's in Psalm 8, by the way. And he's given a, command, a, man, a mandate, a commission, be fruitful, multiply, have dominion, rule over creation, like they were king and queen. And Satan the serpent hated this new creation, this new order of created beings. So now he designs how he can do with them what he did in heaven with the angels. In other words, he's going to bring about the fall. So that's it. Now, go to your picture a moment and you've got it here. The two major trees which are the history of the whole Bible, the tree of eternal life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The, the thing is, it's not just the tree of knowledge of evil. It's mixture. It's good and evil. And see, many Christians, sorry to say, are still living on the wrong tree. Is it good? Is it evil? Is it right? Is it wrong? Should I do it? Should I not? Hey, we should be living by this tree and not by this tree. Okay? So now, what's he going to do? There's three things you can put down there. This is what the devil's going to do. How can he bring about the fall of this sinless, 
bride and bridegroom. Number one, he has to attack the word. Now, please listen, because this, I mean, this revolutionized my life. He's going to attack the word that God gave them. He hates the word. He hates the living word. He hates the written word. So he's going to attack the word. All right, number two, he's going to undermine their faith in the word. And then number three, what's the whole purpose of that? He wants to get them to disobey that word. See, faith and obedience. Let me say, let me say those three things again. So how can the devil do this? He has a three-pronged fork. A snake's tongue is three-pronged, isn't it? His evil purpose is, number one, to attack the word God gave them. Number two, undermine their faith in God and his word. And number three, the end result is getting them to disobey that word. Is that clear with everybody? Yeah. Very important. Because once I saw that, I thought, this is why we need the word. We've got to get back to the word from which we fell in Adam. Okay? So now, here we are. Adam and Eve, as we'll call them, are on the ground of faith and obedience and they've been given this tremendous purpose of God. So the snake in the grass comes in, and what does he want to do? And, I mean, this is so applicable today, because, you know, everybody in Australia, everybody's in the world, they're on one ground or the other. So what he wants to do, he wants to get them off of the ground of faith and obedience, over to the ground of unbelief and disobedience. And he's heard the purpose of God, he wants to frustrate the purpose of God. Everybody clear on that? Now, how's he going to do it? There's a sevenfold attack on the word. This is it. So I want to go through those steps with you. And uh, because I'm talking to a very intelligent bunch of people. Yeah. I'm pretty good down uh, not, not too good at the back there. I'm talking to a very intelligent bunch of people. Yeah, thank you. Okay. All right, now. Okay, so we got the picture. He wants to get them off of the ground of faith and obedience over to the ground of unbelief and disobedience. So he attacks the word. Now, because of some of the things I want to say and, and odd times, and I really haven't done this since Ted and Salve came to Waverley way back there, um, I, want, I want you to turn some other scriptures with me. So let's go to D and uh, read a couple of other scriptures here because... Uh, It'll save me turning later on. So let's go to 2 Corinthians uh, uh, chapter 11. Because it's part of our jigsaw puzzle. See, a lot of people just read Genesis 3 about the fall and miss it and say, well, Kevin, where'd you get all that? Say, hey, here's some other parts of this, the jigsaw puzzle in Corinthians. So 2 Corinthians 11. Am I talking too fast? No. I was born in a hurry. Mum wanted to get rid of me, I believe. Okay. <laughs> Oh, it lets me finish my cup of tea. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And uh, I'm going to read verse 2 and 3 from uh, a couple of translations here. So he says, I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. Uh, he's not jealous of them. He's jealous over them. I'm jealous of some of you people because you're so young. Um, but with godly jealousy, for listen, I have espoused you to one husband not a dozen husbands, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Now what does he do in verse 3? He goes back to the first husband and the first virgin 
And he says, I have a fear. I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Let me go to the other translation here. I'm jealous uh, for you with godly jealousy. I betrothed you to one husband, the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to present you as a chaste virgin. Jesus wants to marry a virgin church, a pure church, a holy church. Amen? But I feel as somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from simplicity in Christ. So what is Paul doing? He's going way back to the first sinless bride who's a picture of the church and say, I'm frightened this will happen, what happened back there. Okay, let's go to another part of the puzzle. First Timothy, oh, one, one statement I want you to put down there. Sin entered through the mind. You see, that's why there's such a battle for the mind and attack on the mind that we are being brainwashed. The best brainwashing you're getting is tonight with God's word. Come out thinking straight and clear. Amen? That's good. Okay, so, yeah, why so much word? Well, you need your brainwashed. You only get it... If, if, <laughs> Right? I need my brainwash, so I'm in it too. But we're brainwashed all the week. Out in the media, the billboards, the pornography, the whole jazz out there. We're being brainwashed, our generation is. I'm glad to get into the house of the Lord and say, hey, I want some brainwashing. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. The word. So sin entered through the minds. Less your mind. Now, go to next part of the puzzle here. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, it's on your notes there, 1 Timothy chapter 2. And let me read uh, verse 11, and you'll start to pick up the thoughts as I go through, you know, I'm, I'm throwing the book at you. Uh, verse 11, 1 Timothy 2, he says, Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. Now, People have abused and misused that scripture to silence women from all ministry. Paul's not doing that here. We have to read it in the context. Let me read that again. Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection, but I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. You get the connection? And Adam was not deceived... But the woman being deceived was in the transgression. So he's going back to what happened in the Garden of Eden. We've got to understand that when he's talking about a woman usurping authority. This makes sense to everybody? Some of you are not sure. Some of you are looking at me like a cow looking at a new gate. <laughs> Verse 15, I haven't got time to explain this. Not with, notwithstanding, she, she shall be saved in... Childbearing, not having a bunch of kids. It's the bearing of the Christ child. If they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. Okay, while I'm just on this one, let me have a little bit of fun with you. Who do you think was the worst sinner, Adam or Eve? How many say Eve? Adam was. Eve was deceived, but Adam was Oh, you've been pinching my notes, haven't you? <laughs> oh, you've read my book, yeah. Eve was deceived. Adam was not deceived. He willfully did it. And see, if the male chauvinists, which none of them are here tonight, yeah. had have written the Bible, they would have said, by one woman sent into the world. Romans 5 says, 
by one man sin entered the world. So we get the worst bucks here because the unborn generations were in Adam. Get it? Yeah. Unborn. In Adam. So Eve was deceived. Okay, we'll just hold that. Freeze that. Uh, Romans 5.19. Are you enjoying the jigsaw puzzle? Yeah. Romans 5.19. So verse 19, Romans 5.19, For as by one man's disobedience, remember this faith and obedience and attack on the word, by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one many shall, shall many be made righteous. So it's the issue of obedience. Okay, we'll come back to the other scripture. Okay, now on your notes here, there was an enemy around. Now let's go through, and if you can just, if you're doing this famous diagram, uh, and tomorrow I'll give you the thing that brings it all together. Just continue. Here's God's eternal purpose. This is what he created man for. There's a devil around, the serpent. So what he wants to do now is get them off of the ground of faith and obedience and away from the purpose of God over to the ground of unbelief and disobedience and frustrate that purpose. Now how he does it is I've got to attack the word. Here's Mr. Adam. Here's Mrs. Adam. She's got the dress on. Uh, I only say that because sometimes I'm walking down the street and I say to my wife, what is it? Is it a man or a woman? <laughs> oh, it's a she-man. Okay, thank you, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, everybody's safe there. Okay, step number one. Everybody with me so far? Yeah. Okay, step number one. The serpent puts a doubt into Eve's mind over the word. He puts a doubt. And how does he do this? Yeah, chapter, Genesis chapter 3. Has God said? So this is what I want you to pick up. The first utterance of the devil in the Bible, the serpent, was a question mark over the word. Has God said? That's it. And the devil's the same today, yesterday, today and forever. He's still questioning the word. Well, who wrote the Bible? Look at all the translations. They all contradict each other. Oh, you're all supposed to have the same old. He's still putting the doubt. See, as somebody said, doubt is the father to the lie. So step number one is the serpent puts a doubt into Eve's mind over the law word of God. Has God said Satan's first utterance in the Bible or attack on the word of God is what God has said? It was an attack on God's law by the lawless one, the one commandment that God placed man under. Put down, this is not on your notes, put down 1 John chapter 3, verse 14. Sin is transgression of the law. So God gave, uh, that's 1 John 3, 14. Oh, sorry, you've got to think fast. You know, I speak fast, you think fast. Okay, 1 John 3, 14. So sin is transgression of the law. God gave Man, one law, one commandment, and transgression, trans across, gradio, to pass across a given boundary. So sin is transgression of the law. Okay? To break the one commandment was to break the ten. So it was a doubt into the mind of the woman, uh, on, uh, a doubt on the authority of the spoken word, and you could put this down, it's not original with me. Doubt is the father to the lie. And it was the seed of unbelief. Now, see what's happening here? He's going to get her, get them 
off of the ground of faith and obedience over to here. But he's got to under undermine, attack the word. Uh, how, how, many, how many really feel you're getting something out of this? Because this, this helped me. It revolutionized my life. Okay, the attack on the Bible today, the attack on the word. And it's that, it's that still serpent thing. Has God said, who wrote the Bible? It contradicts itself. It's that doubt in the mind. Sin entered through the mind. Okay, step number two. Uh, step number two. Now, the woman, and please, I'm not against men or women, you know that, so I'm not a male chauvinist because we've, we've proven that. The woman, Eve, adds to the word. And how does she do that? The New Living Translation says, you must not eat it or even touch it. Now, God didn't say anything about that. He just said, you shall not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the day you eat there, you'll die. So she adds that little bit there. Now, here was the problem. She should have run up to her husband because he was given the original one. You know your Bible. Come, you come up here and do this. Yeah, no, That's very good. I'm proud of you. So he was given the original word. And see, what she's going to do now, please, and the word is only used once, she is going to usurp authority, seize the authority over the man. So that's in the context. We've got to read it there. So God didn't say anything about touching. There's no specific word that God says that Eve should not have even entered the conversation with the serpent. There was nothing to discuss. God had said it. That settles it. There's nothing to discuss. Now, this is, this is, this is my opinion. And I have been known to be right on odd occasions. Um, what, I, I think that Mrs. E, e or Mrs. Adam is up the other end of the garden and Adam's down there probably working in the garden. There was no sweat, but he's, he's supposed to you know, keep the garden in order. And uh, I think the devil, because Eve was last on the scene, comes to the woman. Not that she's the weaker vessel, but she was second on the scene. Adam was created first, Paul says, and then Eve. And so he comes to the woman who got the word probably from her husband. We would assume that because of what she said. And this is what I think happens. I think the moment she entered into a conversation here, she started to be hooked because this is what I think should have happened. Now, I use my wife. If my wife was here, I'd have her come out the front. Uh, uh, go, go back to Genesis chapter 3 quickly. Genesis chapter 3. If you just surface read the Bible, especially Genesis 3, without these other verses, you'll have uh, some parts of the puzzle missing. So uh, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. Genesis 3 verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Okay? So let's hold it there. Now, this is how I see it. Can you imagine, because people say, Well, she took the fruit and gave it to her husband, because, uh, where's that? In, um, let's see. Uh, yeah, verse 6, the latter part of verse 6, verse 6, not verse 6. Verse 6, she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. So just a surface reading of that, you think, well, Adam's standing there. Now, just put the picture, if it was my wife, my wife was in here, 
and all of a sudden we're, we're together in the garden and all of a sudden this snake in the grass comes up to my wife and starts talking to me and saying, oh, Reen, has God said you're not allowed to eat all the tree, any of the trees of the garden? And what about that one? And I'm just standing there as brave Kevin Adam, <laughs> listening to a serpent beguile my wife and I say nothing about it. And then I let the serpent deceive my beautiful, wonderful wife and she gives me a big bite of it because I'm not deceived. That's why I don't think, just a surface reading of this, that Adam was standing right there next to her. What sort of a husband would that be? So this is why I believe, on the basis of these other scriptures, that Eve was up here and uh, Adam's down somewhere in the garden. So what she should have done, she, uh, she should have run up, instead of starting a conversation with this snake in the, in the grass, she should have run up to Adam and said, Adam, there's an occult meeting going on up the <laughs> other end of the garden. Would you come and deal with the snake? And Adam, if he'd been any sort of a man, would have come up and kicked the snake in the belly. <laughs> and, and, and they tell me, if, if Adam and Eve had been Chinese, they would have eaten the snake. <laughs> Right? Uh, right? Or you would have made soup out of it, uh, uh, like sweet and sour. Uh, right, right, right. You're laughing with me now, not at me. Yeah, yeah, I know. Okay. All right, so where are we up to? Okay. All right, so... Yes, that's it, yeah. I, I, think, I, think, uh, I think, this is, I think, that there was no, no other human being around, and so it's like... The, 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 the devil incarnated himself in a beast. And that's why when you get to Revelation 12, which is the ultimate of this, the serpent stands before the woman to devour her child. And so he's a woman and a serpent, but she's not deceived because she's the bride of Christ. And it all harkens back to this. That's the, that's the awesome picture. Okay, so what I put here is that in Eve entering into the conversation saying we're not even to touch it, uh, it's the danger of adding to or taking away from the word. So was, a question I have here, was Eve already hooked by the serpent's fourth tongue? Step number three. All right, still the conversation here. Step number three, the woman, listen to this word, adulterates the word or waters it down. How? So the woman, Eve, adulterates or waters down the word. How? She should have stopped any further discussion with the serpent. And how does she water it down? Listen to the language. Um, because the, of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest she die. Now did God say, lest she die? Or did God say in chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, in the day you eat thereof, you will surely die. Now, how many notice there's a difference between lest we die and you'll surely die? Lest is sort of watering it down. It's just in case we die. Hey, God said you'll surely die. And she's saying, lest we die. Just in case we die. Now, um, uh, where are we here? Yes, God had said you shall surely or most certainly die and the less in this case or else we die. It took away the full meaning, the full effect of God, what God really said 
when he said, you shall surely die, as the next step shows us. So she watered it down, taking away the full effect. And that's what you have to watch today, taking away the full effect of God's word. All right, step number three. All right, step number four, as time keeps moving here. Now, the serpent gets into the next act here. And number four, step number four, the serpent lied outright against the word. Now, the first utterance of, of the serpent in the Bible is putting a doubt on the word. And remember I said doubt is the father to the lie. Now, the lie comes out. The devil lied against the word. Now, listen, this is very, very important. Uh, it's an outright lie. The devil is the liar and the father. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he's a liar and the father of it. Why don't you put that scripture down? John chapter 8 and verse 44 and 45. John chapter 8, verse 44 and 45. So he's a liar and the father of it. I mean, the devil couldn't speak the truth if he tried to, he'd stutter. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own resources, for he's a liar and the father of it. So Satan's first, that was John chapter 8, verse 44 and 45. So Satan's first utterance in the Bible is a doubt on the word, and now Satan's second utterance is a lie against the word. Now, I want you to turn over to the scripture. On your notes there, 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. How many like the jigsaw puzzle approach? Wow, I mean the whole Bible to me is like a divine jigsaw puzzle. But we've just got to work hard and not force the parts, but bring the picture together. Okay, 2 Thessalonians, where are you? Page 666. Uh, no, 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 no. 2 Thessalonians. Okay. Now, go to chapter 2, and uh, we'll just pick up from verse 5. I believe the, the chapter concerns Antichrist, but I want to pick out a, a, a truth out of here. Verse 5. Uh, Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. And Satan was the serpent, the mystery of lawlessness. Way back there, mystery of iniquity. He who now restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs and lying wonders and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, what reason? They didn't receive a love for the truth. Everybody's going to believe something. They're either going to believe the truth or the lie. Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie and that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth. I've underlined that expression. Believe the lie, believe the truth. Believe the lie or believe the truth. There's no neutral ground, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now, let's apply this part of the puzzle here. Put ourselves in the position of Mrs. Adam, Eve here. There's snake in the grass. He's talking to her. So now he says, you'll not surely die. Now, this is what she's got before. She's got two words. She's got the word of God. In the day you eat, you'll surely die. She's got the word of the, the serpent. You'll not surely die. It's just changed one little word. 
by putting not. God says, you'll surely die. Serpent says, you'll not surely die. So she's got two words. Which is she going to believe? That's it. She's either going to believe the word of God or she's going to believe the word of the devil. She's going to believe one thing. It's the same with the world today. Everybody believes something. They're either going to believe the truth or they're going to believe the lie. How many know there's millions in Australia believe a lie? This is the truth. We're all going to believe something. That's why I tell people, no, no use messing around today. Say, hey, you're going to either believe the lie or the truth. It's just that simple. So, believe the lie or believe the truth. Eve now has two words before her. The word of God, you will surely die. The word of Satan, you will not surely die. One was the truth of God. One word was the truth of God. One word was the lie of Satan. It's the truth of the lie. There was no neutral ground. She would believe one way or the other. The lie is opposite to the truth. All the world either chooses to believe the lie or the truth. So, uh, so what, you, what you want to do, bit by bit now, he's attacking the ground of faith to get her off the ground of faith. She's getting almost into unbelief now. And disobedience, obedience to a disobedience. This is what he's working for, working to. Okay? So attack the word to get you to disbelieve what God does believe. Okay, step number five. Everybody doing okay? Yep. Step number five. Now this is a, a subtle one here. The serpent slanders the word. Slander. He slanders the word of God. Let me explain that. So the serpent slanders the word. How? Okay, now let me go back to Genesis 3 again. This is how he does it because... In Genesis chapter 3, uh, the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. Now, verse 5, God knows that in the day you eat thereof, your eyes will be opened and you will be as gods, knowing good and evil. Now, I'd like you to put this definition, I got this from Charles Finney's book. This is the best definition of slander I've ever read in all the definitions. Uh, Charles Finney says, slander is to tell the truth in such a way as to give the lying impression. I'll milk that in a moment. So slander is to tell the truth in such a way as to give the lying impression. Where's my pencil here? Okay, let's, let's put it this way then. Um, here we have the truth. And opposite the truth, exactly opposite, is the lie. But slander comes here. How many know that the newspapers are masters at this? They can tell the truth in such a way as to give the lying impression. So you couldn't be taken up for character assassination. They're masters at it. So she's got before the truth or the lie. Now the devil slander. So slander is telling the truth in such a way as to give the lying impression. How does he do this? God knows that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes will be open and you will be his gods, knowing good and evil. So what the devil is doing is saying, look, there's something in this tree that God doesn't want you to have. There's a knowledge there that you don't know. I mean, you should try drugs, you should try immorality, you should try all these things. You really don't know. And it's still the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So there's something in that tree God doesn't want you to have. And what is it? The knowledge of good and evil. Now, let me ask you the question. How many believe God knows good and evil? How many don't? How many are frightened of getting tricked? How many ever? Okay. No. 
He knows good and evil. But here's the difference. God knows good and evil and can only be good. But man now knows good and evil and can only be evil apart from God's grace. Now, listen to this. And you see, I believe that God, this is how I understand it, I believe God meant man to know good and evil, but not by experience. That's good. Okay? I know the evil of drugs, but not by experience. Okay? I know good and evil. Now, I want you to turn over, and this was, well, sort of, not revelation, but it was illumination on the revelation given by inspiration uh, given a number of years ago. Turn over to Romans chapter 7. And I'd like you, if you mark your Bible, put one little word there and let me make a statement first. How you doing? Okay, I've got a few more minutes here. Uh, Romans chapter 7. Now, this is what I believe. You can put on your notes. I believe that Romans 7 is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and Romans 8 is the tree of life. Let me explain. So Romans 7 is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and Romans 8 is the tree of life. Let me explain. Now, we haven't got the type of time, but if you go from verse 13, I want you to notice how many times Paul uses good and evil, good and evil, good and evil. Listen to it. And we haven't got time to milk it too much. Verse, uh, verse 13. Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin, that in my peace sin was producing death in me through what is good, so that sin through the commandment might become exceeding sinful. Uh, let me go back to the older version. For that which I do not, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent. How many know that this guy needs to see an eye specialist? 26 times in this chapter, he uses the word I. Now, here's your punch line. I want, when I want to do good, evil is present with me. And the good that I don't want to, I want to do, I don't do. And the evil I don't want to do, I do. I've got a problem of good and evil. Do you know why? Let's go to the key, the key verse. Verse 19. For the good that I would, I do not. And the evil which I would not, I do. And if I do uh, that, I would not. Is no more I that do, that do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then, say the next words to with me, a law. Let's change the word there or put it in your margin I have. I find then a tree that when I would do good, evil is present with me because I've eaten of the forbidden tree. Every man, woman and child on the face of the earth is born with this tree in us. Maybe when we're little babies we don't know much about it, but as we grow old we suddenly find good and evil is in us. There's a tree in us. Paul says, I find in the law the law of sin in my members. Just change the word law, still safe, I find in a tree. And when I want to do good, evil is present me. And I'm torn over this tree. It's a mixture. It's not just a tree of the knowledge of evil. It's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's mixture. That's the tough thing. I mean, to know that. We know it by experience. That's it. So slander. Told the truth. Now, God knows good and evil and can only be good. Man knows good and evil, but we can only be evil apart from God's grace. Go to Romans chapter 8 quickly. Just a few more minutes. You've been marvellous hanging in there. This is what they call Kevy's Heavy Rebbies. <laughs> okay. Romans chapter 8. 
So Romans 7. So I'd like to encourage you to read the scriptures more in the light of what we've been talking about. But Romans 8. What does it start off with? Verse 8. There is there, uh, uh, chapter 8, verse 1, sorry. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, not in Adam. Because Romans 5, he says, Adam brought condemnation. You've got to link Romans 5, where by one man condemnation came upon all men. Romans 5, Adam brought condemnation. But now we're out of Adam, which we'll be doing tomorrow. How to get out of Adam into Christ. Hallelujah. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life. Change it to the word tree. The tree of eternal life. has made me free from the law of sin and death. Hallelujah. That's worth a little hallelujah. Don't get too emotional now. Otherwise, Ted will have to tone you down. Wow. Okay, where are we up to? Quickly. Uh, yes, yeah, slander, slander. Have to leave a bit of that. Okay, is this helping you? So Romans 5 on my notes, I've got Romans 5 is the man Adam. Romans 7 is the tree, the dual knowledge of good and evil. Romans 8 is the tree of, of eternal life. And it's the inner conflict of good and evil, that struggle within us that we all go, yeah, I want to, want to do good. Okay, number 6, just a couple more, and then we'll sort of split the scene. Okay, number 6. The woman now, the woman Eve, is deceived by the serpent's word. So the woman Eve is deceived by the serpent's word. So bit by bit. So the woman was beguiled, the woman was deceived. So she turns now, she makes a decision. It's a decision, she's deceived, but it's a decision by, made out of deception. And she turns from God's word to the... Word of Satan. So now, before she's even done the act, there's been an inward fall. Before the act, there's the inward fall. She has already fallen. The inward fall, the inward sin before the external act. So she has fallen now from faith in God's word and believed the lie of Satan above the truth of God. And you might like to make a note of this. Satan's first master weapon is deception. And it's his last master weapon, Revelation 12. He deceives the whole world. Why? Because they do not have a love for the truth. And for this cause, God sends a strong delusion that they believe a lie. You're going to believe something. That old serpent, the devil, and Satan, the deceiver. So now, remember what we said in Romans 10? So then, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. What, what would be the opposite of that? So then, unbelief comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of the serpent. Just that simple. Wow. Unbelief comes by hearing the word of Satan. And this may sound simple. The root sin is unbelief. Did you know that Jesus died for every sin in the world but one sin? He never died for the sin of unbelief. And that's making it very simple. Unbelief is the unpardonable sin. Because Jesus died on the cross to redeem us from all sin. But he said, if you refuse to believe on me, you will die in your sins. Because all the sins in the world came out of the root sin 
unbelief. That's why we've got to get back to the Word. Amen? Uh, I mean, how, how many feel this is helping you? It revolutionized my life. And I believe it's helped me over the years. Okay, so the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes, what does he come? He said, Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of sin because they smoke and chew and run with the boys that do. No, I've sinned because they believe not on me. Because that's the root sin. It began here. Okay, all right, number seven, our last, uh, our last time. And then, so now the man, Adam, and the woman both disobey the word of the Lord. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. So they are both now. That's what the devil wanted. So how many sort of see the steps here? Doubt on the word. Adding to the word. Watering the word down. A lying again, a slander against the word. Uh, believing Satan's word against God's word. Uh, I've lost a step here somewhere anyway. And then disobeying the word. Let me finish with this statement. I'm not sure if it's on your notes or we maybe pick that up tomorrow. Put down this as we sort of finish. Our time is really up here. Christ died to bring us back to the faith and obedience from which Adam fell. That's it. Christ died to bring us back to the faith and obedience from which Adam fell. Let me finish on this. So, how many see what's happened? So, God's purpose and original intention frustrated because the serpent who hates the man and the woman has got them off of the ground of faith and obedience, frustrated the purpose of God onto this ground. So, what is the gospel? When we preach the gospel, we're wanting to get people offer the ground of unbelief and disobedience back to this. So Christ died to bring us back to the ground of faith and obedience which we lost in Adam. Wow. Isn't that awesome? I think you've had enough for the night. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching. Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org where you can access PDF downloads of all of Kevin Connor's books as well as his video training courses, including the Key of Knowledge Seminar and Foundations of Christian Doctrine.